You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. beginning a new series here um, as we launch into a new year, and I'm kind of calling this the Hall of Faith, and I want to be focusing on who I believe are really the great heroes of faith found in the New Testament uh, book, uh, the book of Hebrews, uh, focusing really on chapter 11. Now, if you just read through Hebrews 11, what you will find there is at the very beginning of chapter 11, there is just this great definition of faith what it means to have faith, and then it gives us just all of these examples of people who walked by this great biblical faith. And throughout the series, I want to be um, looking at what is it that they specifically did that enabled them to walk by faith, and then what does that example say to us? How can we go and be imitators of what we observe as they're just walking and living out of this biblical faith? Now, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, to me, kind of summarizes the whole chapter uh, of 11. And there it says, since we are surrounded by so many examples of faith, We must get rid of everything that slows us down, especially sin that distracts us. So we're going to be looking at these extraordinary examples of faith and then apply these lessons really into our own lives that in order we may be able to overcome anything that kind of slows us down, that distracts us, that maybe is interfering with our walk of faith. So I want to just start right there at the very beginning of chapter 11, verse 1, and I want to look at the biblical definition of what faith is. Now, if, if you don't get this completely, you know, this morning, it, it's okay. We're going to be talking about this for the next couple of weeks, and, and I'm just going to be giving you example after example, definition after definition, and I'm just trusting one of these examples, one of these definitions of faith, it's just going to click. You're going to go, ah. That I got. That I understand. So Hebrews 11, chapter 1, it says this. Faith assures us of things we expect and convinces us of the existence of things we cannot see. Now, again, you may be sitting there going, that's like Greek to me. Okay, let me just give it to you then in in another translation because this is sometimes... You know, how we'll kind of come to understand. We'll hear something, same chapter, same verse, just a different translation. And just because it uses some different words, all of a sudden we'll go, oh, I got that. I understand that. So let me give it to you from the New Living Translation. Puts 11, uh, Hebrews 11, one this way. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. NIV translates it this way. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, throughout the series, we're going to kind of be unpacking this whole concept of faith, what it means, how we can walk in the same level of faith as those we're going to kind of be looking at. So, 
I'm just going to ask you just to humor me for a moment. Are you, are you all in a good mood this morning? Are, are you, yeah, I know it's cold out there, but you're just going to humor me. I'm just going to ask you to stand up this morning. Just stand up where you are. <coughs> now sit back down. Now let me ask you a question. How would you describe what you just did by sitting back down in that chair knowing the chair was going to hold you? Well, just stop and think about that for a moment. How would you describe that, that event that you just did? Is there a word? Is there a, a phrase? Is there an explanation that you would use to describe that activity where you just sat back down in that chair knowing it was going to hold you. Okay? Your response or the word, the phrase, the explanation you may give me and that, that can really go a long ways toward helping you to understand faith. Now, not one of you doubted. Not one of you questioned. No one wondered. I didn't see any question, any doubt on any face when you sat back down. Is this chair going to catch me? Is it going to hold me? Will it support me? Stand up again. Now, I want you to sit back down in this chair with this idea that there is a 50 50% chance when you sit back down in that chair, it's not going to support you. It's not going to hold you. It's not going to catch you. Okay? So with that in mind, a 50-50 chance this chair isn't going to catch you, sit down. Yeah. I mean, we kind of approach that whole concept a little differently. See, we have a lot more faith in the chair to hold us than we do in the promises and the faithfulness of God. A lot of us kind of, we kind of approach faith with God kind of like we do that there's a 50-50 chance this chair ain't going to hold me. And we'll kind of think, you know, well, this may work, it may not work. We'll just, we'll just kind of have to see regarding the promises of God. Maybe this is true for me, maybe it isn't. And, and so we just kind of got to walk and we got to approach this whole faith thing with God with, with, a, with a fair amount of, of skepticism, of caution. That's why Hebrews 12:1 says, we got to begin to develop a kind of faith in God that will allow us to get rid of everything that would cause us to be slowed down, to question, to doubt, to wonder, will this hold me? Will the promises of God actually come to fruition? Is God really faithful or is there a 50-50 chance that this could go for me or against me? Now, the Greek word for faith is hypostasis, and it really means to stand under, to support. Kind of like what you did with that chair. Hupo means stand, stasis means under. So faith, in the Greek meaning of the word, is that which stands under us. That which supports us to believe in what we hope for will actually happen. <clears throat> Going back to Hebrews 11.1. 1, And give us an assurance about those things we cannot see. 
to stand under, to support. How we understand faith, how we apply faith, how we walk in faith is so critical. Because Hebrews eleven six says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Romans 14, 23 goes so far as to say that whatever is not a faith is sin. So how does faith come? It comes through hearing, okay? Faith has everything to do with hearing. Biblical faith, faith that is pleasing to God, comes when we not only hear what God says, but then walk in obedience to what he has said. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And you're going to hear me talk about this particular phrase over and over and over again. Because a lot of us walk by sight and not by faith. Okay? Faith, you'll never ever walk in faith by what you see. Okay? Never. Faith is always what you hear. Okay, we don't think about that a lot. That's why, again, it's so important to understand. You're walking by faith, not by sight. Faith always comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So until you hear the word of God on any subject, salvation, prosperity, uh, healing, before you hear uh, the word of God, there is nothing to put your faith in. Does that make sense? If I don't know what salvation is, how to go about being saved, unless I know what God says about that, the means that there's nothing for me to put my faith into. I've got to hear what is it God's calling me to do? What is it God wants me to do? How is it God wants me to do that? That comes by hearing. And that's why Hebrews 11 opens by saying, Long ago, God spoke many times in many ways to our ancestors, through the prophets. Now in these final days, he has spoken. Okay? When you speak, it is for the intent of being heard. Okay? He has spoken to us in these last days through his son. Once we hear what God has spoken, okay, then and only then do we have the opportunity to attain faith by hearing and coming into a Agreement with what he has spoken. So let's look at the first example of faith. And again, if you didn't get anything that didn't make any sense to you, come back next Sunday. I'll have a whole new explanation, definition, because it, it, this is really a very multifaceted um, subject. And so, uh, again, faith is one of those things we've got to understand. And so we're going to be unpacking this a lot over the next few weeks. Now, there in Hebrews 11.4, it says, it was by faith. Now, again, that is hearing and then obeying what you have heard God say that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man. Now, the Bible says the righteous walk by what? Faith. Yeah, the righteous shall live, shall walk by faith. So, this is how he was giving evidence that he's a righteous man because he is walking in faith. And God showed approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. 
So again, in order to understand Abel's example of faith, we really got to go back and look at the story there at the very, very beginning in Genesis chapter 4. And there starting in verse 2, you'll find the story of Cain and his brother Abel. And there it says, when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. He was a, a farmer. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of his firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. Now, this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Now, as a result of this, if you're familiar with the story, you know that Cain lures his brother Abel out into the field and commits the first murder in the Bible. So why is it that God accepts Abel's offering and not Cain's? Well, again, if you understood what I said, faith comes by hearing, okay? And hearing according to what God has spoken. It stands to reason that both Cain and Abel both heard what God expected in terms of what they were to bring as a sacrifice in order to please him. So it is by faith. Hearing what God had said, hearing what God required, Abel brings and he obeys what God has spoken and he brings the sacrifice of an animal. Cain hears the same thing as Abel, but he chooses instead to bring an offering of produce that he had grown from the ground, but which by the way, in the course of the fall of mankind, the ground became cursed. So Abel obeys what he heard God say. Cain chooses to disobey what both he and Abel heard God say, and he chooses to do it his way. Now, I say this based on several factors. First, you have to consider the history kind of leading up to this. And fortunately, we're only in the fourth chapter of Genesis, so there's not a lot of history to consider here, right? Okay, Genesis chapter 1, you have the record of God creating the heavens and the earth, as well as the creation of mankind in his likeness and image. Genesis 2, you have Adam, who's exercising his authority over creation By naming the animals. God creates Eve as a helpmate to Adam. And God is communing. He's walking. There's intimacy between he and Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3. You have the fall of mankind. Sin enters into the world and the human race. And it kind of just brings forth death. It kind of plunges the whole of creation into chaos. Adam and Eve, uh, as a result of that, they are driven out of the Garden of Eden. They are driven driven out of uh, the presence of God, okay? That's the history of Genesis 1, 2, 3. In the fourth chapter of Genesis, essentially what you have is the way back to God. Even though the relationship between God and mankind has changed by result of disobedience, the sin of Adam and Eve, God makes a way back, For man to kind of come into his presence with him. And he does that through the shed blood of an animal or a substitution. Now in Genesis chapter 3 I say that because uh, following 
the fall of mankind, God does something very, very interesting in verse 21. And it says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So God makes the first fur coat in the history of the world in order to clothe Adam and Eve. And he does that by sacrificing an animal. And in that sacrifice, God is revealing to them Not only is this going to clothe you, but I'm also giving you an example of how you are to come back into my presence. Okay? If God is saying to them through all of this, if you are going to come back to me in relationship, if you're going to commune with me, you must come through the blood of a substitute, in this case, an animal. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 9.22 states, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sins. Now, with all of that, it just stands to reason for me that Adam and Eve would have passed down this critical information to their sons, Cain and Abel. Adam and Eve understood what God was doing in clothing them with that animal. What it took for God to clothe them with the skin of that animal resulted in that animal giving up its life, that animal's blood being used as a temporary atonement for their sin as a way of bringing them back into relationship and communion with God. Again, it just stands to reason for me something that important. They would have taught, passed down, imitated for their sons, Cain and Abel. If you're going to approach and commune with God, the only way that that is possible is you've got to go through the blood of another, in this case, an animal. So God has both spoken and he's demonstrated through the sacrifice of an animal Again, using that skin to clothe them. The blood is atonement for the sins. He said, this is the way to approach me. This is the way to have relationship and to commune with me. Because of your sin, the only way back to my presence is through the blood of a substitute. And that blood will provide forgiveness. Is this making some ties over here to what we do every Sunday in communion This is the blood of a new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. So God is clearly showing those who have been driven out of his presence how they can return and gain, even though maybe somewhat limited, they can have access to his presence once again. Abel heard and He responded in faith, and he obeyed and did exactly what God said to do. And he presented an animal offering. And in that, it involved the shedding of blood. God accepts Abel's offering, and access is granted. Cain hears the same thing, but he chooses. I'm not going to walk in faith. I'm going to walk in my own way. I'm going to walk in my own understanding. I'm going to walk in my own revelation. I'm going to walk in my own faith. And he presents an offering that comes from the ground, again, which has been cursed. And his offer is rejected. And Cain is angry and rejected. Abel gives an offering involving blood, which again provides for atonement for his sins. Cain offers a bloodless offering. 
nothing to atone for his sins, remains in his sins, unable to approach a holy God. Do you understand why you need the blood of Jesus? Why the blood of Jesus needs to cleanse you from your sins? Because you can't approach a holy God. You have to come through the blood. Now what's interesting is even after this initial offering by Cain, God says to him in Genesis 4, 6, get this. Okay, he's been rejected. My guess is he understands why his offering has been rejected. Look at what God does. Why are you so angry? Why are you so downcast? This is God speaking to Cain. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? In other words, God's saying, hey, it's not too late to go back and to do the right thing here. You can still go and bring the proper offering. And when you do, I'll accept you. Even then, Cain chooses to remain defiant and rebellious toward God, angry toward his brother. And the results of his choices were tragic. God's way back to himself, which God instituted, by the way, and Abel responded to was by sacrifice, the death of a substitute, by the blood of atonement. Man's way back, religion's way back to God, which Cain invented, was without blood, on his own terms, in his own way, on his own timetable. That's why God has respect for Abel's offering, regardless of how hard Cain might have worked to produce his offering. The sweat of his brow is no substitute for the blood of the lamb. So what is the lesson of faith for us that we're to take from this example of faith by Abel? Remember what Hebrews 11.4 says, although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. So what does Abel's example of faith have to say to us here today? Well, the whole issue of Abel's example addressed was the means by which God provided in order for Abel to approach him and to have uh, his uh, sins atoned for, and that was through the blood of a substitute. So what is the means by which God has provided for you and I to approach him, to commune with him, to be in relationship with him, to have our sins atoned for. I mean, Abel expressed faith toward what God required then. What faith do we need to express toward what God requires now? New Testament teaches very, very clearly, and, and, and you'll see this unfold throughout the series, that through Jesus Christ, God has provided a more perfect sacrifice than what was offered through the sacrificing of animals. Do you realize the scriptures teach that the blood of animals was limited in what it could do? It was really only a temporary atonement for the sins of mankind, whereas the blood of Jesus was so perfect because he was innocent, he was sinless, that his blood was able to atone for all of the sins of the world, for everyone in the world, past, present, and future. The sacrificing of animals, it had to be done over and over and over again. Whereas when Jesus was crucified, his body broken, his blood shed, his sacrifice for sin was only necessary once for all. 
Here's how Hebrews 7, beginning in verse 23, comparing the high priests of the Old Testament. These were the men who functioned as Levitical priests. They were the ones who made sacrifices on behalf of the people of Israel. And there, Hebrews 7 is comparing that Levitical priesthood to the high priest, Jesus Christ. So now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. Like all of us, there was a point where they died too. And other high priests came in to take their places. And it kind of prevented them from continuing uh, in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. A priesthood that will never come to an end. And because of that, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. That's the key. Coming to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest, again referring to Jesus, meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. None of the other high priests in the Levitical priesthood had this. No other priest in the Old Testament functioned like this. This is unique to Jesus. It says, unlike the other high priest, he, Jesus, does not need to offer sacrifices day after day First atoning for his own sins because he's sinless. And then for the sins of the people. The biblical priests in the Old Testament, they had to offer atonement for their sins first before they could offer atonement for the sins of the other people. Jesus didn't have to do that because he was perfect. He was sinless. He was able to offer a sacrifice, an atonement uh, for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. So again, unlike Abel there in Genesis, we don't have to bring animal sacrifices anymore. Can you say amen to that? I mean, you think the carpets are dirty in here now. When Jesus Christ was crucified upon the cross, he was the perfect final sacrifice. In the Old Testament, the blood of animals was only able to cover the sins of the people. Again, it was a limited atonement. It only went so far. When Jesus' blood was shed because he was perfect, his blood was able to remove our sins. Again, the blood of the animals in the Old Testament, it covered over it. And then there were more sins of the people committed that were just kind of piled on top of the blood that atoned for the sins. And then the priest would have to go and offer, again, another sacrifice to cover over the sins that had been committed. And then they'd have to come back, and they would have to, fresh blood, fresh sins. This went on and on and on. The Apostle John makes this observation in, in John Chapter, verse, chapter 1, verse 29, said the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Not cover over it. He's going to take it away. He is going to remove it. He's going to deal with it once and for all. So God has made a way back for mankind into an intimate relationship with him through the atoning blood, through Jesus' work on the cross. Jesus shed his blood so you and I could experience complete forgiveness. This is what God says to us through his word. My question to you this morning is, do you respond to that like Abel or like Cain? Biblical faith 
would respond to everything I've said here today. If God made a way back for me to commune, to have fellowship, to have relationship with him, to have my uh, sins forgiven through the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross, through the shedding of his blood, then I choose, based on what I have heard, my faith is I am going to respond to what I have heard God say through his holy word, through what Jesus has said and done for me. Are we going to be like Abel and receive it, or are you going to be like Cain and try to come up with another way to God, your way? That is what the example of Abel is intended to teach us concerning faith. Oh, I'll come to God, but I'm going I'm to come to God on my terms. I'll come to God on my timetable. I'll come to God by my means. And if God doesn't like it, then that's not faith. That's rebellion. It's ignorance. It's a lot of things. But it ain't faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. So that, that's the choice. Are you going to be like Abel? And respond by faith to what the word says that if you want to come to God, you've got to come through Jesus. Or are you going to be like Cain that says, no thanks, I'm, I'm going to do it my way. Listen to Romans 10 beginning in verse 6. But the righteousness, remember Abel was righteous in what he did. But the righteousness that is by faith says... That's kind of giving you the negative, and then I'll give you the positive. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is, bring Christ down. That's already been done. Or who will it descend into the deep? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. That's already been done. We don't need to do that. That's, there, there's no righteousness of faith in that. But what does the righteousness that is by faith, what does it say? All right, are you ready? The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is, Paul says, the word of faith we are proclaiming. Are you, are you ready? I'm gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna ask you to, to do this by faith, okay? I want you to hear what this is. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You are saved. You are coming back into relationship with God. You are coming back into intimacy with God. You are coming back into a full fellowship with God. Okay? You heard me say that. That's what the word says. And that is what the word of righteousness says. If you're going to come to God, here's how you're going to come. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. Now, are you going to do that or are you going to do something else? For it is with your heart that you believe. What does the heart believe? Well, he told you that Jesus Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. That's what you got to believe in your heart. And he said, when you believe that in your heart, something happens. You're justified. And that we've talked about that. It's just as if you've never sinned. 
And it's with your mouth that you confess. What do you, what do you confess with your mouth? Jesus is Lord. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What's the name of the Lord? Jesus. That's the name of the Lord. God says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that I raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You have to decide based on what you have just heard. Are you going to respond? Are you going to walk in faith to what God has said? Biblical faith is when I respond to and obey what God has said, what God has spoken. If God has said this is what I have to say and believe in my heart to be saved and I want to be saved, then that is what I'm going to say. That is what I'm going to confess. That is what I'm going to believe in my heart. Our obedience to what God has said is our faith responding. Anybody here know how to become a Muslim? I'll tell you, I testify that there is no true God, deity, but God, Allah, and that Muhammad is a messenger, prophet of God. That is Islam's testimony of faith. That is the first of five pillars if you're going to go into uh, the, the Muslim faith. When you recite those words, now, if you do any study on this at all, they will tell you, you can't just say these words to say these words, Okay you got to believe in your heart that what you just said in that Islamic proclamation of faith, you believe that with your heart. You can't just mouth the words. Okay? You have to truly believe what you are saying in order to become a Muslim. Now, once you've made this profession of faith, okay, according to what the Muslim religion teaches, when you make this profession of faith, you do it from your heart, you're sincere, okay, your sins are forgiven. You are made right with God. But I want you to notice, no Jesus, no blood, no believing in your heart God raised anyone from the dead, two completely different paths to God. And I contend one of them is the way of Abel and one of them is the way of Cain. One of these paths is God's path and the other is man's path. The Quran says, if anyone desires a religion other than Islam, never will it be accepted of him. And in the hereafter, he will be in the ranks of those who have lost themselves in the hellfire. Quran chapter 3, verse 85. Jesus said in John 4, 16, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Both of these statements, folks, cannot be equally true. Now, they can both be false, but these statements of the Quran, of what Jesus said in John 14, 6, both of those statements cannot be equally true. Every world religion, every choice outside of Christianity, and I would include in that atheism, is a response to what God has spoken to us through his word. God said to Cain and Abel, this is how you come back into relationship with me. Abel believed and responded accordingly. God is pleased by his response, and Abel was received. Cain did not believe. And chose another way. And he and his offering was rejected by God. God has made a way for every one of us to come back into a right relationship with him. 
to have our sins forgiven, to receive eternal life, to live a life of blessing and abundance here on earth. Jesus is the way to what God has provided. Many people hear that and say, well, I'm going to come to God, but I'm just going to come my own way. I'm going to come on my own terms. I don't need the blood of Jesus. I don't need Jesus. One is the way of faith. The other is the way of futility. One way says, I'm going to go the way of God. The other one says, I'm going to go the way of self. I'm going to go the way I think is best. One leads to acceptance. The other rejection. One leads to life. The other leads to death. This is the great first lesson we're going to learn from Abel's faith. There are two ways of access. Cain chose one. Abel chose one. Abel was accepted. Cain was rejected. In one of those two ways and approach this morning. Every one of us in, our, in this room finds ourselves in this morning. That's why we offer communion. It's very, very interesting. Jesus talked about, you know, his, that, that body kind of representing almost the veil that was in the temple. You remember when Jesus hung upon the cross and his body had been broken, he had been nailed to the cross. He said, this is my body broken for you. And you'll know that in the temple, that temple veil was torn. It was broken. It was, it was divided. And what it was signifying unto us that when Jesus' body was broken, that temple veil was rent from top to bottom. And it signified we now have access to God through the broken body of Christ. When Jesus was finished with that, you remember he took the cup, he lifted it up, he gave thanks to God. He said, drink from this, all of you, for this is the blood of a new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. That's the way. It is the way back into communion, fellowship, relationship with God through the broken body of Jesus, his shed blood. There's no other access. There's no other way. This morning, I just invite you to take a moment and to think about this. I know not all of you partook of communion this morning. But I want you to think about this. This is what you're doing. When you come and you take the body, what you're recognizing, what you're affirming is your body was that temple veil. And when your body was broken, that temple veil was torn in two. And it was you giving me access to the Father. And then your blood was shed because I can't approach a holy God in my state of sinfulness. And so the blood of Jesus was, was shed so that I could be cleansed, so that I could access God's presence and do that in a state of righteousness, in a state of sinlessness. So as you come this morning, I ask you, do you come this morning with the faith of Abel? Or are you just going to come this morning and just say, you know what, this is just nothing but a cracker and juice. It means nothing to me. That is the way of Cain. Maybe some of you this morning, you've never, ever really even thought about a relationship with God or, or what Jesus did through his broken body, his shed blood, to, to bring you back into that relationship this morning. Jesus' blood was shed once for all. And no matter what you've done, no matter the sins you've committed, no matter how deep or how numerous they are, the blood of Jesus is so powerful 
that it can cleanse, it can remove. God isn't interested in covering over your sinfulness this morning. God is interested in removing it, taking it from you so that you can walk sinless, uh, without shame, without guilt. And just knowing that, that even as we go forth from this place, that, that if, we, if we sin, we have an agreement, we have an understanding with God that when we confess that sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness through the same blood. So this morning, I just I ask you, maybe you've never ever made that confession with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And maybe just ask God, God, would you just give me faith to trust what you say, that you did raise your son, Jesus Christ, from the dead, that you gave him eternal life. God, would you give me faith in my heart to believe that so that that faith in my heart can match that confession of my mouth. And through that, I can come to salvation. I can come into that relationship. If you've never done that this morning, that's all that that requires is that confession which leads to justification, that belief in your heart which will result in your being saved. So as we close in worship this morning, there'll be people up here that we would love to pray for you. If you've never ever made that confession of faith, we'd love to pray with you this morning. We'd love to just give you the assurance that what you have confessed with your mouth, what you're believing in your heart, that you would just have that assurance that God accepts you, that he loves you, that he's forgiven you, that he has received you back into fellowship with him this morning. We'd love to give you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible so you can read all the great things that I'm sharing with you out of here this morning. So as we just uh, close uh, here this morning, we invite you to come and just to celebrate communion. And again, communion really is for those truly know what the body and the blood represent it is his body it is his blood we don't want to do that in a in an unworthy manner we don't want to do it lightly regarding what this represents we do it knowing and understanding appreciating being grateful and thankful for what God has done for us through the breaking of his body the shedding of his blood that we could come that we could be forgiven. Father, we just thank you so much for what the body, the blood represents. God, this morning, I pray that we would come as able, hearing, and just walking in obedience to that word. If this is what your body represents, if this is what your shed blood represents, God, then we come in faith. We walk in faith in regards to receiving the body and the blood of Christ and we recognize that it is the way back to you. It is the way of forgiveness. It is the way of eternal life. So Father, I just pray, Lord, that maybe for those that are here for the first time, God, that you would just give them by the power of the Holy Spirit because you cannot say these words without the power the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is Lord. You can't say it. So, Father, I pray, Lord, those that just need the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit to just move upon their heart, to move upon their mouth, to make that confession this morning. Jesus is Lord. God, I pray that you would move upon their hearts, that, God, you would give them faith, that, God, you would move them to be able to believe 
that you raised your son Jesus Christ from the dead and God in the uniting of those two things that God they would come to salvation Father I pray for those that have maybe done that at one time but have just walked away that God it is the same broken body it's the same shed blood of Christ that we simply come and once again affirm God your way is the only way. Your way is the best way. And God, I'm sorry for walking away from that and walking in my own ways. And God, I just want to come back and God, just affirm that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And I choose to walk in that this morning by faith. Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would just, again, move on hearts that need to be moved on in that way this morning. We just thank you for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit who causes us to live, to move, and to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.